the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. It's a little different here today. I am your American dental hygiene host, Melissa Obrotka, and I am flying solo. My pal Tabitha is actually in the air right now. Um, but we are doing round two with our good friend, Miranda Beeson, dental hygienist extraordinaire. Welcome back, Miranda. Thanks. I'm so excited to be back. I'm sad to not here and see Tabitha, but I'm excited to be here with you, my Thanks. East Coast buddy. Thanks, Mama. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how over the years we have acquired these dental best friends, right? Like Tabitha, you, uh, Nicole Fortune, Siobhan Healy, like there's just a list goes on and on and on. And um, it's just been cool having our little tribe. And actually, it's pretty interesting because that's what we want to talk about today. Um, Miranda and I want to address uh, some of the issues that are currently going on in the in the dental industry, and um, just mindsets. What's happening in dental hygiene uh, specifically? Uh, the shortage of hygienists, the uh, per hour uh, investment of of just driving up the market because of the shortage of hygienists. And um, we're going to talk about, you know, we were kind of saying before we start recording, it's a little bit of a sad state of affairs right now. And that crew that I had just mentioned, we're like the 1% within the, the profession that we want. We love it. We absolutely love it. That's why we do this podcast and share what we love. And we do it because we want to inspire others to feel the same way. We know many of uh, our colleagues don't feel that way. And that's the sad part. So we want to talk about how individually we can maybe shift our mindset, turn things around a little bit and look at things a little bit differently. So Miranda, what do you think are some of like the top five things that we could do as dental hygienists to, you know, go from being miserable, I hate this profession, my body hurts, I don't have enough time, I don't get paid enough to deal with this garbage, to actually like having passion and loving what you do? Oh gosh, all of those things sound so familiar and and so, it is so sad. You, you and I were just talking about how much we both love being dental hygienists and it's been such an amazing career for us and it still continues to be. And I just want that for everybody that goes into dental hygiene. I feel sad when I see in these Facebook forums and things, um, individuals saying like, is this really what I want to do? You know, people just graduating and they see so many rants on all these forums that they're like, is this even what I want to be doing with my life? And I'm always in there, like the, the one little voice going like, yes, it can be an amazing career. <laughs> like stick with yeah. it. So I don't know. I think the first thing is just recognizing your talents and abilities, recognizing the impact that you can have on dental hygiene, that you can have on your patients, that you can have on a practice. And recognizing that impact for what it is, which is an amazing thing. And then not taking that and running to a place of, I'm going to say this word entitlement. I love hygienists, but we are getting a little bit entitled uh, in our profession. And I think it's creating a bad rap for the hygienists that are really in it for all the right reasons, which is really spreading this message of health and spreading this message of opportunity of what we can be for patients and what we can be for a dental practice. I mean, we're really our own department within this greater business. And if you look at it in that way and you own that responsibility and you're looking to continue to grow throughout your career, what you can provide to patients and what you can provide to a practice is like the sky's the limit. Absolutely. So I want to unpack a couple of things you just said, because I think there's so many great pearls we can dive into with that. So um, first off, business within a business. I think, well, I know for sure in dental hygiene school, we do not prepare future dental hygienists to know their spot in this business within a business. We have way too much to teach you in two years as it is than to go down that road. So that's a whole nother piece of it altogether. Um, and, and, you know, you're walking in as a new hygienist asking for the going hourly rate. 
And I, I'm going to kind of tag off of what you just said with the entitlement. Um, I have graduates that, you know, they're one, two years, three years out of school, and they're making what I'm making per hour. And no offense, you don't deserve it. <laughs> I've put in 20 years. I've busted my ass. I research all the time. I've evolved with science and technology. And yes, you guys are important and you come out and you have, new, there's so much more that you need to know. To, in order to graduate than I did when I was in school. However, you're green. You're yeah. super green. And there's so much more. It, it takes, correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but I think it takes three to five years to really kind of get proficient as a dental hygienist. I would say five years as a minimum. And I'm right on, I'm right there with you. And I am not hating on new graduates. I, I love new graduates. Like I will me mentor too. you all day Absolutely. long. I love it because <laughs> I had such great mentors as a new grad. You know, my first five years of practice, I was in a larger practice and it was, I call it my secondary education. It's what I tell people all the time. That first five years being surrounded by experienced hygienists was probably the best learning that I had. I needed the fundamentals. I got those in my hygiene program. Um, you know, I, I have a bachelor's degree, so it was a, it was a solid program, but when I got into the real world, it's a whole different game and you, you just learn so much through practicing. You yes. see, you, you might be five years in when you see something for the first time and you're like, I've never even seen this before. You might be 12 years in. What, what was, I think I was about eight years in when I saw that first hybrid and thought, wait, your denture doesn't come out. Like, yeah, you're learning. I was 12. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you're learning the whole time you're practicing. And so to think that you can uh, take advantage, I think it's taking advantage of the situation that practices are in right now, being able to go out and ask for what, again, someone that's been working in a practice for 10 or 12 years might already be making, or someone who's been practicing for 20 years. You're also not giving, well, twofold. One, if the doctors are doing that, they're going to push the other hygienists right out the door. The ones that have been there tried and true, because they're going to immediately feel de devalued. But also you're putting yourself in a position as a new graduate is like, where are you going to grow to? You know, if you're starting at the top of the market, when it comes to what, you know, pay, where are you, what are you going to grow into? You can only push that ceiling before so far. And I think that's a realization that just needs to be called out and dentistry yes. of like, we aren't in a profession as dental hygienists that has an endless ceiling. The reality nope. is there is a, a limitation to what we can make as clinicians. Now we make a great living. Like I've had, I've had a beautiful life and my kids have a beautiful life from being a part of dental hygiene. Um, but I know, and I know that's a sidebar to like mindset, but I just think that's a big thing to think about when you're coming out into it. I think your mindset needs to be total growth mindset and, and, and humility, right. Around where you currently are. Right. Right. And I think that goes back to the culture of dental hygiene education, because we come over with our little clipboards and our little pens and we're, let's do your clinical competency right now. And we're watching over you. And then we're oftentimes critiquing, which is not always received in a positive light. So we come out with this mindset that we must be perfection, like perfectionists all the time. And then we get benchmarked to get our license on our ability to remove calculus, which is, that's another topic we'll get to. That's not even really the deal anymore. Um, you know, there's more to it than that. So I think that we, we come into it with this, this, and we also have this idea that we must finish the patient, must finish the patient, must finish the patient to get credit for my patient count. Right. right. Where that, that culturally comes over into the practice too, where it's like somebody could have raging periodontal disease and they're like, no, just do what my insurance pays for. And, and then you as a young hygienist are like, sure. Okay. And then you must finish the patient <laughs> and just watch them like slowly dying a slow and painful periodontal death because they have this raging disease happening right in front of your eyes. And that's called supervised neglect, which is a whole nother issue that will impact your license and, and goodbye to your bougie salary. So that's one of the things that I think new grads aren't thinking about. And it's also such a super uh, difficult transition when you have three hours for patient care and now you're down to 60 minutes and you're trying to be a healthcare provider and continue to do your head and neck screenings, your oral cancer screenings, and do a full periodontal screening. 
And you just don't have the time management skills to do all that yet. I think you hit the nail on the head for me when I graduated. I graduated from a program that, I mean, they built our confidence. They broke us down. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Like they all do. But they did also then build our confidence when it was time for us to go out in the community. And it was like, you are the elite of the elite, right? We went out into the community thinking like, we are the jam. And I've told the story before, like I was president of SADA and I was in the top, you know, couple of people in my class didactically in terms of my grades and whatnot. And so I came out thinking like, I'm going to crush this job. And I got to my first day and I went in as a, as a temp, cause I didn't know, you know, what kind of practice I wanted to work in. And exactly that happened. Right. I went from seeing three or four patients a day to, to eight, nine, whatever, if there's kids in there, 10, who knows, And I remember having a patient who now that looking back, like had perio, I had no idea what to do. And I knew the time was ticking (laughs) and the doctor came in for the exam because I brought him in and I was sweating profusely. And he pulled me in the hallway and he said, you know, are you finished with this patient? And I was like, I actually no, no, I'm not, but I have no, no, I'm not, you know, I was like, (laughs) I don't know what to do. Yeah, And he was so awesome. Talk about mentorship. And he's like, here's what you're going to do. You know, and he walks me through, you're going to go in and you're going to say this and you're going to do that. And I'm like, okay. But I, I felt mentally, I wasn't even really nervous about my first day as a hygienist, but once I got into it, it was like, oh my gosh, it's that competency ladder, right? All of a sudden I was very aware of, I was very conscious of what I was incompetent at. (laughs) Right. right. When we leave hygiene school, we're at a place of, of, conscious competence, right? I'm aware that I'm, that I'm competent at this in the way that I'm used to doing it. And I don't want this to go down a whole rabbit hole of like new grads. Cause I, again, I love new grads. We will mentor you, shoot us a message. Like we're here for you. Um, but you know, going out into it, I definitely went in thinking like, I deserve this and I'm going to be amazing. And, and then the day one was like really humbling in, mm-hmm. in the real world. And so I think that's it is we have to go into it being, being humble, having a piece of humility that yes, I'm awesome. And I'm going to bring a lot to the table, but I'm going to grow with this practice. I want to grow within this profession. I want to always be learning and always be growing around what's the next best thing. And, and then I'll be able to get wherever, you know, I really want to go in terms of pay or, and, and I can ask for maybe a partial commission-based salary and deserve it and know what I'm talking about. Because that takes us yeah. back to that business within the business of knowing Absolutely. how to advocate for yourself. Yeah, because what I often see too is that when doctors are throwing these higher hourly rates at hygienists, then the standard of care often comes and goes out the window because it's like, okay, well now in order to pay you that much per hour, you're going to see two patients per hour. And then it just becomes a profi mill and you become a jaw janitor. And and that's where you burn out. That's where you have no fulfillment. Your body starts to hurt. It, it's I tell my graduates before they leave uh, our program, like you have a choice to be either A, a healthcare provider and provide the standard of care you've been taught here as your foundation or be a high level manicurist. Yep. Because if you're just polishing teeth all day, it's no different than walking in the salon to say, pick a color next, <laughs> pick a flavor next. Like, that's not what you, like the past two years, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the time, everything you put into this, like, do you really want to devalue yourself to that? So it's, we have a choice. And that's, I think what the message is here is that you have a choice on how you want to practice. And if the culture of the practice that you're in um, isn't open to helping you grow into that healthcare mindset, there are practices out there that would take you with open arms. So, you know, I always think that you can first try to make things work in the situation you're in, bring some science, bring some evidence to the table, have a few conversations with the doctor and the admin staff and see if we can get everybody on the same page and making this shift. Um, but, you know, if, if that doesn't work, then there is much opportunity for you currently out there. Yeah. I was just sharing with you being a coach now with ACT. I have several clients who are looking for hygienists and they are amazing practices. They're privately owned. They, you know, they, they're investing in coaching. That means they care about making things better and they truly value these team members. And it's like, I can't find a hygienist. And it makes me just sad for them because I know as a hygienist, I would, what I would give to work in a practice like that. Right. And when I, when I hear about hygienists who are dissatisfied, 
and, and a lot of times we come back around to money, but I don't think it's really about money. It's about feeling a sense of purpose. It's about feeling valued and feeling appreciated. The, I think the reason I have loved hygiene so much is I have worked in practices that have treated me as a colleague. You know, I've worked with doctors that respect my area of expertise and we've learned from each other. I've learned a ton about dentistry and, and they've learned from me about perio and about hygiene and having a relationship like that makes you feel like you have a greater sense of purpose within the practice and within the profession. And at that point I was never fighting for more. Um, I got what I deserved, but I also worked for people who understood and respected and also thought I deserved that. So I think that when we talk about, you know, why and what's going on and why are people losing their passion for this and why are people burning out? It's, it's about having a sense of purpose and no one's going to give you that. Nope. You have to find that you have to seek out. What is it that inspires you within this profession? There's so much opportunity within this profession. And if you can find what inspires you and, and lean in heavy to that, you know, that's how we met each other. You and I, that, that group that we were talking about earlier, we were obsessed with this passion for being better implant practitioners and serving patients at a higher level. And so we just like that reinvigorated me at that stage in my career. You know, I was hitting that stage of monotony and all of a sudden there was this this new thing that started firing off all these new neurons and it introduced me to amazing people who also felt the same way I did. And so I think anybody can do that, but you have to seek it out. Would you agree? I a hundred percent agree. And that's the thing too. It's like oftentimes hygienists are like that lone wolf within the practice that, you know, you're just in your room, your head down, doing your thing all day long, not even really socializing with your team members so much. And, you know, when you're, I know I've felt when I'm in my operatory busting my ass and I hear everybody in the kitchen laughing and, you know, having, or they're like, Melissa, can you come and have cake for birthday right now? And I'm like elbow deep in perio. I'm like, you want me to stop what I'm doing to go sing happy birthday to so-and-so right now? Are you kidding me? Like, you know, so like those things happen and you're like, does anyone just not understand what I'm trying to do here? Or, you know, being a practitioner who believes in the oral systemic link and how we can truly help people and and struggling to get my admin team on board with making sure that medical histories are updated and that I can go through that material and understand what's going on with the patient so I can educate them on their risk factors and connections. So there's a lot of times that there's struggle, even for us, even for providers who want to practice at this higher level. But you have to, I agree with you hundred percent, Miranda, if you don't have that passion in your heart, if you don't know your why, then yeah, you're going to burn the hell out and you're going to burn out quick. And, and the money, you know, the, the high paycheck is not going to sustain you. Doesn't make you feel and, better when you're in a state like that, for sure. And, and here's the cool thing too. You can nerd out hard on research. You can, I, you know, I call myself a tooth nerd. You can nerd out hard on like the clinical aspect. You can nerd out, nerd out hard on sleep or communication. You know, that's what I nerd out on communication. Um, right. how, you know, how do we build connections with patients? You can just focus on how impactful you can truly be on someone's health. One of, uh, one of our other coaches at ACT was talking one time, and I think you've said this before too, you know, these patients see us as hygienists more often than they see their, their healthcare practitioner more than likely. And so the impact that we have to, like you just said a minute ago, be healthcare providers that are an integrated part, someone, someone that these people are like, I can't miss this appointment the same way that they don't want to miss their endocrinology appointment to check their, you know, A1C. We should be right there at the top of the list with them. And it's us, it's our responsibility to make that happen. Now, mind you, I'm also clear, you know, very aware that within this profession, not every office and every doctor that you work for is going to encourage a hygienist to function in that way. So if you want to be that type of hygienist who is driven by passion and uh, learning new things and innovation, you're going to need to find a practice that aligns with that philosophy. You know, you're not going to be able to be in, like you were talking about a profi mill somewhere where they just need a warm body that picks teeth. Like that's not going right. to probably be very fulfilling. A <laughs> yeah. A pulse. <laughs> so give me someone with a pulse and a profi angle and I'll yeah. be happy. That's not the practice you want to be in. 
but I think that's the provider you want to be. No. And I think that, that hygienists just need to take the ownership of, again, that business within the business, just know that, and there's a balance. It can't be, I see a lot right now of it's a supply and demand issue. And so there's a lot of demand happening and that's not a good way to start a professional relationship either. So if you're going into a new office, you know, it's not a good way to start by just like laying all your demands on the table and making a doctor feel like he's held hostage. And I'm not letting the doctors off the hook either here. Like there's a whole, we could do a whole podcast on how we treat employees and team members. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. But like, it's, it comes down to this, like what, what I think is so important is we all say that dental hygiene oath upon graduation. And I think that when you really read those words and you really walk that talk, then that's so many new grads have come to me about issues over the years that, you know, my doctor's asking me to do this. It doesn't feel right. Well, look at your oath. If you're ever questioning something, if whatever they're asking you to do is not in alignment with that oath, well, there's your answer. It's really kind of a simple, beautiful thing that we give you as you're departing. And it's also like, hey, doctor, like, here's why. Here's why I can't. Exactly. Like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I swore to it. It's kind of like looking at your own core values too. setting your own core values within yourself. You know, businesses have core values that they filter all their decisions through. And I'm wearing my core values shirt today. Um, (laughs) but when it comes to your own personal core values or your professional core values, like stop for a minute and think what type of professional do I want to be? What type of hygienist do I want to be? What are the characteristics that I want to portray every single day, every single time with every patient? And then when you do get hit with one of those roadblocks, same, same thing, like you're saying with your oath, like, look at that oath, look at your core values and say, am I in the right place? Am I making the right decision here? Those are your filters. Those are your guideposts for how to know how to navigate through your career when you hit those tough challenges. And I think hygienists too, especially younger ones, I know I have, you know, doctor's word is law. And that's not the case. Like it's taken me a very long time to know that I am the specialist when it comes to periodontal disease within the practice, not the doctor. Unless I'm working for a periodontist, that's a different story. But if you're in a general practice, you are the specialist. The dentist is not going to probe better than you, not going to understand the what you need to do, the behavior modifications, the communication skills with patients. They don't spend their time on that during their education. They're learning how to restore teeth. Mm-hmm. That's their prime directive during school, not periodontal disease. That's considered the easy stuff that they breeze through. So like you need to wrap your head around that as a dental hygienist, that you are the specialist. And if you don't feel like you're that person yet, then go get educated. There are so many classes, so many resources. There's so much out there for you to learn from. And some of it's not even that expensive. So, you know, there's, there's so much for you to do to grow into that role. If you don't feel that you're that person yet, I had the worst perio education in my program. Like it wasn't great at all, but that was the one thing that I was drawn to in practice. And I kept on ending up in places where it was like perio, perio, perio. So like the universe was prepping me for my future Uh, And I didn't even know it. And then I finally got into a practice where we had a periodontist who was there with us part time and he wouldn't even let me see his scaling and replaning patients. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, I was so insulted. But then I was like, "Okay, well, why? Why does he not want me to see them? And I used to I think I've said this before on the podcast. I used to go in on my day off and sit in the other hygienist's room who he allowed to do his scaling and replanings and just watch her work. Just listen to her communication skills. Just watch how she read. I mean, this is back when we were looking at X-rays. Yes, holding them up to the light. Yeah, holding them up to the light and reading them. Like watching how she would look at them. And I would say, well, you know, what do you see there? And she would point it out and and show me. Like there's so, so much that you can control. But you just have to be hungry enough to go out and get it. Well, and how humble of you, come back to that word, to not go, this guy's a, can I say bad words on here? This guy's oh, a, absolutely. This guy's a dick. And, <laughs> and I'm like, you know me, personally. Well, I don't know what you have going on with this. But I do know if it was you and me talking, I'd have said it. Uh, so. <laughs> 
not, but you could have said that, right? And you could have said, mm -hmm. I, does he not know how amazing I am? I can do this SRP. Like, but no, Absolutely. you humbled yourself and said, there's got to be a reason. Maybe I don't know everything and let me learn. And you had a mentor who was able to show you that. And that's a key point too. If we're going in, if you're going into a perio office, like have some perio training and and we know it has to be more than what we got in our programs. Absolutely. It needs to be something you've sought out. And the other piece of that is if you're still approaching perio or hygiene in general, the same way that you did when you got trained, which for me was, you know, 20 years ago, it's almost, it, it's funny. And if you're in the 1900s, <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in the very early 2000s. Uh, but if you know the 1900s, as the kids say now, uh, you probably should be seeking out if you haven't already, what's new in Perio? What is new in instrumentation? What do we know now that's different than what we knew before? And again, like you and I mentioned before, when we uh, found each other around implants and seeking out knowledge in that place, um, you're going to find people who are also in the same place that you are like minds, and it's going to reinvigorate your career. Now you're going to have this moment of, I can't believe that I was doing it that way for so long still. And, oh my gosh, this is such a better way. Even just pre-polishing, if we even want to throw it like simple, like what everyone probably has in their practice, the ability to do, like, I think there's a huge advantage to disclosing and pre-polishing. It would be amazing if it was with an EMS unit. I never got lucky enough. Uh, but but for those that are, kudos. Uh, but just starting, like, if you don't have that in your office, putting that at yeah. the front of your appointment, because what are we doing it for at the end? Right. Um, just basic little changes. And when you learn those things and you start trying something new and you see the impact and you see the difference, mm -hmm. imagine if your doctor was still doing everything exactly like they learned it 30 years ago. You wouldn't want to work there. <laughs> no. And I love that you just said that because that's, that's one of the key issues that you can state your case with when you're asking for new technology or asking for a shift in how you're doing things in the hygiene department. And you know what, here kind of coming back to the business piece of it, you need to know what is the return on investment the doctor's going to get. So if you're asking for the doctor to invest in the department, which is again, a business within the business, how is it going to be beneficial? Okay. So like, let's talk about GBT for a second because we're talking we love about, it. We love it. It's amazing. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, doing biofilm disclosing and bringing that back into your patient care is so, it's just such a huge game changer because patients don't understand. They don't know their minds can't know what their eyes can't see. So if we, when we make the biofilm visible now, all of a sudden they get it right. And when we talk about, here's the bacteria, see, it's dark down here. That's the same area. When I did your, your pocket readings that you heard me call out fours and fives and there was bleeding and you this were a little uncomfortable and it was a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> and it shouldn't be, if your mouth was healthy, you wouldn't feel me doing this. Yep. So like that reinforces the message, right? It puts the ownership of disease on the rightful person, not you as the practitioner, but the patient. The patient owns the disease. I did not put the bacteria in your mouth, sir or madam. You showed up with it here today. And now I'm just making it visible. So we're both cognizant of what's here. And then when you, if you just make that shift, if you start talking to your practice about wanting to integrate something like GBT, um, but you make that shift, like you suggested by just polishing first, make sure you're using a very minimally abrasive, low RDA paste, remove biofilm before calculus. It's in the alphabet, B becomes before C, biofilm before calculus. Like it is such a game changer, but it's so hard for our yes. brains to, to get to that because we were programmed in hygiene school to be proficient and benchmarked on our success, on our ability to remove calculus. Yes. So that's yes. what we pick up our instruments and we're like, we must remove calculus. And that's like, we get so robotic about yep. it. So yep. you have to just be open, be coachable, because I promise you when you shift that in your brain, it makes such a difference with your patients, with your outcomes, with their health. And guess what? When you teach them how to properly remove biofilm at home, they produce less calculus. <laughs> it's such a concept. <laughs> and then your job is easier. 
it's like whoa psh, mind mind i'll say that mind blown <laughs> you know so like these are the small shifts you can make so then when you do something like this and you're you're communicating better with your patients you're diagnosing more periodontal disease you're enrolling these patients into non-surgical periodontal therapy and then they're coming in four times a year for periodontal maintenance as opposed to their twice a year profi there's return on investment people and when you you know propose something like integrating GBT into your practice and they need to make a large initial investment in that technology to do something like that, you need to to be able to present these things because there you are a business within a business. And and, the, and you have to be ready. You have to have put yourself in a position where your mind is ready. You've learned what you need to know. You're able to like you're going to have training if you integrate something like that into the practice, but if you just say, I'd like to try this, I heard a podcast, it sounds cool, but you haven't done right. any digging. You haven't learned about this new concept of biofilm and you're still in that mindset that you were in from before, like you said, which is like root plane, root plane, root plane. Yeah. Then they you're got not piles be... of cementum. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to be successful in integrating that. And now the doctor will be frustrated because it is a large investment and now they're not going to be as willing to invest in the future. So not only do we have to be prepared for that investment and how to navigate that conversation, like set yourself up for success at going into that conversation right. by already have having sought out and learned this, at least as much as you can around the new approach, around the new mindset, around the science of biofilm. There's plenty of it right. out there now. There's and so be prepared mentally with that so that you're going to get pushback. You can then have yeah. a conversation, a partnership with your doctor and how to navigate through introducing something new like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I believe that wholeheartedly you must do the research. Um, there will be things you won't know how to answer. And, and when th that question comes up, you know what, Doc, I don't know the answer to that, but let me do some more research and I'll come back to you and provide you with an answer so we can make an educated decision. That's that's really what it is. You have to learn to advocate for yourself and then you're subsequently advocating for your patients. So it kind of brings that full circle back to what is your purpose? Yeah. Like, what is it that you want to achieve as a dental hygiene practitioner? Like my thing in my operatory is I make every person that I meet better. The, I, I'm going to make you better when, than the way I found you. Yeah. That's, that's my goal. Like I'm going to leave you better than the way I found you. And if it comes down to just removing biofilm, making your teeth a little bit whiter in the process, or have I educated you on the risk factors associated with your heart disease and the condition of your periodontal health? It doesn't matter what the the difference of the impact is. I want to leave you better than I found you. Yeah, and that's that's what keeps me going. I mean, the the niches that we have all experienced through our careers. You know, like implant dentistry brought me to GBT, but then GBT brought me to systemic health and biofilm <laughs> and all of that science. So you know, passions kind of shift too as you go through your career. And, you know, then other things tag in like, okay, so now I know all this stuff about oral systemic health, but how do I communicate this to my patient without scaring the shit out of them? Right. But like making, creating enough urgency that they take action yeah. so that we can yeah. work together in this partnership to get them healthier. And then how do I let everybody else know that like, we can do like great freaking things. I truly believe that we are the gatekeepers to overall health. Like that's how important our profession is. Yeah. And I think we slide ourselves if we don't, if we don't address that. And then once you, once you get to that place, you have the whole team that you work with them that needs to also know and understand and support this pathway. And, right. and, and then that's modifying our language as a whole. We're not calling this cleanings anymore. <laughs> like we're doing so no. much more than that. And how do we get the whole team on board, uh, the doctor, the assistants, the administrative team. And then the other piece of that, because we do keep bringing it back to the business within the business is you do also have to know that you do need to be able to show some type of return on investment. There has to be something that is tangible because a lot of hygienists don't understand how the business side runs. And I mean, I'm the first to say that for the first probably 10 years of my career, I had no clue how how hygiene fit within a business. I had no understanding of like what overhead was or or what a budget 
what, what is a budget for hygiene? Oh, it's, right. it's only, you know, that much clinical supplies is like 5% of your overall budget. And it's not that much. And so if you want to generate something new like this in the practice, whether it be as much as going into full-blown GBT, or if it's as simple as I'd like to shift to a cordless handpiece, right? Like sometimes it's as yeah. simple as that, um, which isn't that much or, or new Cavitron tips. I know hygienists right. fight for new Cavitron tips or piezon tips. And so the more you understand about how the business works, the easier it's going to be for you to have the conversations with your doctor and empathize with where they're coming from. So, you know, when we have these conversations, anyone can be painted in a negative light, right? A hyg mm -hmm. hygienist can be painted as entitled right now. Doctors can be painted as uh, stuck in the mud. They don't want to budge, whatever. But the reality is they're running a business and the closer I've gotten to dentists over the years and through into, especially through the coaching process and understanding more of the back end of that, like the more I learned when I was a hygienist about how the business runs and what overhead is and what budgets are, the easier it was for me to know how I needed to help integrate something new into the practice. Like, I can't yes. just say like, we'll just pull it out of your savings account, for goodness sake, it was like, okay, I'm going to have to know that if I put this financial burden into the practice, because that's how a doctor may view it, right? As a financial burden, right, right? like what value add is it bringing to our patients? And it is tricky with something like uh, GBT to show value add because it's not like you're adding uh, some new codes. It's not like Perio right. where now we're coding out for quads and we're making more money. It's going to be built into the long-term big picture around if their foundational health is healthier, they're more likely to invest in their restorative health. And how do we help navigate those conversations? So I think it's just really important to know what our impact and potential is as a department within the greater business, but also recognizing that, that there is a larger business surrounding what we do and we fit into that. Um, and, and how can we make that department as beneficial as possible to the practice, which then in turn allows for us to have as much benefit as we can possibly want or make within that department itself. Yeah. So, and I think too, like a lot of hygienists look at that as selling, right? They kind of look at, am I selling or upselling someone? And that again, goes back to like, you must finish the patient hygiene school kind of thing. It doesn't, you know, we, we didn't categorize, we staged and graded our patients, right? But we didn't learn or understand coding. And you had three hours to do four quadrants. Yes. So it's a different type of mindset. You know, now you can't do a prophylaxis. You could do a prophylaxis in an hour. Sure, no problem. But if somebody has periodontal disease, now you have to figure out how to walk them through mm -hmm. this journey, right? Because it's a journey they're going sure. on with you. And um, <clears throat> they have to understand their piece in that journey in order to be successful in this treatment. Because it's not, uh, one of my favorite things that I say to patients is, this is 80-20, your results are going to be 80-20. 80% is on you, 20% yeah. is on me. So I can get rid of this bacteria that's causing this infection and this disease and help reset your oral microbiome and get you into disease remission so we stop the progression of the disease but 80% of the responsibility is going to fall on you because bacteria grows in your mouth constantly. Yeah. And you are the one that's going to need to disrupt it on a regular basis. I'm like, you can hire me to come to your house, but it's going to be very expensive. Well, and I would <laughs> argue that that, that you're so funny. I used to, <laughs> patients used to say that. Can you just, can you just come floss me every day? Like, Ew, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I have nothing else better to do with my life. No, but I did actually joke that I was going to make an app that had little um, funny pictures of me with like thumbs up and like silly faces. And I would like text it to them. Like I'd have some kind of app where they could record like after seven days of, in a row of integrating whatever interproximal. <laughs> like clean decisions that we made. Like I could, yeah. I, I'd be their cheer virtual cheerleader. I never did it, but it would be funny. Um, <laughs> but I would argue that. So I, I often say we are selling, but I would argue the way that's, that that's perceived because I think you can, you have to, to some degree, think about selling mindset in a way. It's not the way that people negatively place it though, because you're, what you're trying to sell is an opportunity for health. And what yeah. you're trying to sell is 
this motivation or um, it's really trying, you're trying to build the value. All anyone's doing in a sales role anywhere in any profession is trying to help the consumer see the value in their product or in their service, right? So if you look at it from that way and you don't think of like a used car salesman in your mind when you're thinking about it, like yeah. that's truly what we are trying to do. We are trying to sell the value to this patient and help them get to a place where they can understand where they're at, but what the potential is for where they're going. And there are certain strategies that do correlate between sales and, and building that value. And that's, you know, we talk about motivational interviewing, open-ended questions, building the emotional buy-in or emotional value. Like most people make buying and purchasing decisions impulsively or emotionally. Mm-hmm. And we, we can lean into some of those t- same strategies and not in a ill way, in a way of like, I know this works and I want to try to help this patient get to the same place that I'm at, but I'm there after 20 years of seeing this day in and day out, they are at ground zero. Right. And so you can take some strategies that come from the sales world and build them into how do I take this person from ground zero value to valuing their own health. Like how many times has a hygienist said, I can't want it more than they do. Right. Yeah. And you can't, you yeah. can't, but you have and that's to why we way to get out. them to get there and to want it and to value it. Yes. Yes. So that's where like one of the burnout issues absolutely comes from because we can't get our practices to understand what we're trying to do and our coworkers and our teams to get on the same page with us in some scenarios, right? Or they can't value, you know, how many times is it frustrating if you don't even bother asking for, you know, Cavitron PAs on inserts or new instruments because you already know the answer is going to be no and you've already opted yourself out of it. So you're just going to struggle, hurt your body more, make your patients more uncomfortable because you don't don't want to have the conversation of them telling you no. So like that's that's one burnout thing. And then we have our patients who were like you're sick and I know I can help you get better. I just need you to do this, but we can't even communicate that properly with them to get them to want to make these behavior commitment changes so that they can improve their health. Which often comes back to time. It's cuz we're, just, back we're to- just trying to like you said get that appointment done. Right. And we have this much time to do it. And if we, this is a full circle, if we continue (laughs) to drive our demands uh, and, and, and separate ourselves from that partnership with the doctor, then we're going to continue to drive our demands, our hourly rates, our benefits to the point where we have to see more patients to make up the difference, to be able to pay for our new rates. And now we have less time. Exactly. And now we're right back around to, well, I don't have time to have those conversations with my patients. So I'm just going to do the best I can do. They're going to go home and do the best they can do. There's a little bit of bleeding, but they'll be fine. That's no one's a little bit pregnant. So um, I I encourage you to have that mindset when it comes to bleeding. Uh, No one's a little bit pregnant. So there's no such thing as a little bit of bleeding. Disease happens when we see bleeding, we know there's disease, right? And there's so many other things that we can use the science to prove that, right? We can use salivary testing. Hey doc, I learned about salivary testing and this is going to identify A, B, C, and D, and it's going to help our patients understand. We have AI at our fingertips now that takes the emotion out of diagnosing, right? Because we, again, we opt patients out of treatment because we're like, Oh, am I being too aggressive because I had one five millimeter pocket and bleeding here? Guess what? There's a code for that, people. (laughs) You can do one to three and just treat a specific area and not just glaze over it and watch it get worse and worse and worse. And then all of a sudden now we have a bigger problem. It's our own bias most of the time. It's our own assumptions. It's our own bias. It's time for sure that comes into play. But and it's our lack of confidence in the communication piece, because you do have to practice that and learn that. Um, But then, you know, the bigger factor comes into play of um, what we were just talking about just then is, you know, there's, there's time, there's commitment to learning and communication. And, and the bigger piece is we have to be the ones that drive that whichever one of those roadblocks we hit, we have to be the ones that drive that forward and, and learn something new 
and build on how do we make that happen? We can't rely on the patient. Maybe next time they come in, they'll have read something and they'll want, no, no, that's not going to be the way. No, probably not. But like, you can also send them to Google. I mean, let them do the research on them. The the New York Times just had three separate articles connecting oral health and systemic health. So like, it's out there, people. You could put things, you could print articles out and put them in your operatory. You could put books in your operatory. I've talked about Beat the Heart Attack Gene, I don't know how many times. That's a great book to have sitting up in your operatory, right? And and that's such a a patient-friendly read as well. It's a good point too. If patients are starting to read those things or see those things in the news or in like, they're going to wonder, eventually they're going to wonder why doesn't my, why isn't my dentist talking about it? Exactly. Exactly. So you can be the leader in the practice and you can say, Hey doc, this is where dentistry is moving to. It needs to be integrated with medicine. There's robust research that proves the connection. Not everything is um, causal evidence, but there's multiple correlations. And this is where I would encourage our practice to move so we can stay relevant with what's happening um, in medicine mm-hmm. in general. And, you know, you can reach out to your local endocrinologist. I just merged two professions together. <laughs> the- <laughs> endocrinologist. Endodontocrinologist. I, yeah, like I just made them endo and cardio in one. Um, yeah, so you could reach out to those local specialists and let them know this is what we're doing in our practice. We know the connections between our profession and yours. And you can have an evening like dinner and learn and teach them about yeah. what you're teaching your, your patients. And now you have this interdisciplinary approach to health. Yeah. I have, an, I have we're doing an, an, I have an endocrinologist. Um, I have for about the last 15 years. And I've talked to him about this myself around A1C because he, you know, he knows what I do. He's he's a very nice guy. Um, and there's not a single patient that has diabetes that I don't have A1C recorded. And then having that conversation with the patient around what that number means, because they don't know. They a yeah. lot of times. Cause I asked him, you know, how much do you talk about the peri? Oh, he, he doesn't mention you should be going to your dentist when someone's A1C is high. And I was like, you should be, um, <laughs> but yeah. a lot of times you ask a patient that number and they're just kind of like, oh, I don't know. They said it was good last time. And it's like, okay, yep. well, this is an opportunity for me to say, you know, do, do you know anything around the correlation? And if not, like, I'm happy to share with you why I'm even asking you that number. And sometimes you have inquisitive patients that will ask you, why are you asking me <laughs> about yes, my yes. A1? What does this have, to, what do does with this my have mouth? to do with my mouth? Well, your mouth is in your body. Uh, all the blood flows from there to everywhere else. It's all correlated, but so much of it just comes back to our, our individual, um, assumptions and biases. I mean, even when you think about things mm-hmm. like um, fluoride application for people who really are warranted. I'm not a huge proponent of everyone gets fluoride, but I'm a proponent of the people who need it should be offered it and explained what its value is, right? And right. why we're doing right. it. And there's just huge chunk of the hygiene community that it doesn't even come up because it's not covered by their insurance once they turn 18. And so they just don't ever talk about it. You know, no, they just don't talk about favorite. it. And again, it's all the same factors. Either they feel like they don't have the time or they don't have the confidence to handle the objection or the initial language in general to even bring it up. But I think the greater piece is like, well, it's so expensive. It's like, you know, it's $40 or it's $55 in my practice. Okay. So you should calibrate as a team around what is the purpose and value of a fluoride varnish. What's the evidence tell us about how long it lasts and the service that it's providing to the patient? And if everyone can base things on, like we talked about, your oath, your core values, and then the evidence and what it's telling us, right? Now our subjective opinion is irrelevant in this situation. We're going to do what's right based on our oath and values, and we're going to do what's appropriate based on what evidence tells us is appropriate. And all of a sudden, our bias doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. I, th- that was beautiful, beautiful, Miranda, because that's such a big piece of the problem is, you know, we just go into agreement with 
insurance companies, with patients, with office managers, with how much time it should take us to do things. Stop the insanity. Stop going into agreement with these things. Do your diligence. Do your research. Use the science. It is all there for you. It's not that hard to find either. I mean, you could the Google Scholar is a wonderful resource, and you just type in what you want to research in that bar, and boom, it's going to come up for you. Not to mention um, the number of podcasts, uh, yes. online virtual CES, in-person CES. Like, get yourself out of the free online continuing education programs and get yourself into some really forward thinking, current trends, current evidence, like keep yourself, like seek out really awesome CE throughout your career and not just the ones that you can do without actually even having to watch the course. You're not learning anything new from that. Like put yourself out there. And when you were just mentioning that a moment ago, it made me think about Um, new grads again, which we were talking about in the beginning, and how many of them do go out into private practice with a really hopeful mind and the desire to grow, the desire to explore, but then they go into a practice that has a couple of hygienists and like who've been practicing for 20, 30 years and haven't really explored anything new. And now that hygienist has to kind of morph into what's happening already in the practice. They don't feel like they have the right yet or the ability to voice, oh, but but I learned that this, oh, nope, that's not how we do it here. And now that new grad is immediately transitioned into feeling like they don't have a voice or, well, maybe this is just how you do it in the right. real world. Why did, why did I, why did they force me to learn all those things <laughs> in hygiene school? Because now I'm not even using them. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's more than one piece to that in defense of the new grads, since um, I want to make sure at the beginning, I didn't make rub anybody the wrong way around that. I think there's also that piece of it that some of them go in bright eyed and bushy tailed and, and super hopeful. And then immediately. And so if you get, there's a key point. If you feel like that in your practice, when you first start working transition, right? Try to integrate new thoughts and ideas and see if they're open. And if they're not, there are practices that want you and your type of mindset in their practice. They're all over the place hiring right now. I have four practices right now that are like, just give me that person. They'll take a new grad, a new grad that's open-minded and excited and passionate about solid patient care. Like, come on board. And, and, but you gotta be open to be coachable. Yes. I think that's also another key. You can't go into it like very jaded and cynical and I know and I this and yada, yada, yada. You cannot do that. You have to be open to be coachable. I mean, Miranda and I have been at this for two decades, 40 years combined (laughs) plus that we have experience in this industry. And I can tell you, I still don't know everything. Nope. And, you know, I'm going to continue to learn and grow and stretch and, I'm at the point in my life where I can say, you know what, I don't know that, but let me do some research and let me dig into it a little bit and I will get back to you. Um, And, you know, the other thing too, with integrating something new or changing, I hear a lot of clinicians will say, well, what do we say to the patients? Because now this is so different. They're going to think that we weren't doing it right from the start. No, 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 no. That's the wrong mindset to have, right? We we only did amalgam fillings in the beginning because that's the best we knew at the time right? We use port polishers way back in the day because it's the best we knew at the time. Time has changed. Science has changed. We evolve, right? We took an oath to continue growing and moving as our profession changed. And that's all you have to say. I just took a great course and we learned this. So now we're shifting the way we practice. This is better for you. And we know that now. This is better. Yes. Yes. And the whole thing around dentistry right now is being minimally invasive. That is the trend minimally invasive. And we can do that in dental hygiene as well. We don't, you know, I used to pride myself on scaling every surface of every tooth. I would go 360 degrees with my Cavitron, then 360 degrees with my scalers, and then 360 degrees with my polishing agent. Did I use fine polish? Hell no, that shit doesn't work. Because we needed everything to be glassy. Glassy and shiny (laughs) and beautiful. And you know what? I have two herniated discs in my neck. as a result of that. And can I, I I can't even mention the layers of cementum that I have taken off and the recession that I have 
made happen as a result of that. Did I put the disease in remission? Sure. But I also created a whole nother slew of problems. So I don't practice that way anymore because I, now that I know better, I do better. And you can walk into a practice on an interview and say, this is the way I do dental hygiene. I know this might be, are you aware of this? Did you know that this exists? Nine times out of 10, they're probably going to say no. Okay, that's great. I have some information I can share with you. If this is something you're interested in, we can continue this conversation about employment. But if this this is something that you feel like isn't a good fit for your practice, I totally understand. And I wish you the best. And I thank you for this opportunity. And walk the hell out. Because like, if they're not going to be in alignment with growing, like you've got to ask these questions because you're interviewing your practice as much as they're interviewing you when you first come in and always do a working interview before you take a position. Always, 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 because the curtain will come up and you will be able to see, you know, they can talk is cheap and they can promise you a bajillion things. And, and, you know, I would be leery of the $5,000 sign on bonus. Like that's a little bit of a red flag in my book. Um, but you know, you gotta really, you gotta go into these places, a new job or a new opportunity or as a new grad with knowing exactly what Miranda said. I I think the five things that we had kind of talked about during this past hour was recognizing your talents and abilities, like knowing where your area of expertise that you could bring to the practice, um, but also knowing where you need to work and getting into the practice too is, is where you're going to identify these things. You know what? This happened today. I really didn't do great. Or I didn't feel that great about it. So how can I work on that? The first time I saw a hybrid case, I nearly shit my pants. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't know that existed. I almost fell off my damn yep. chair. I broke into a cold sweat and I hated feeling that way. I hated it. So I dug in and I dug in hard and I probably annoyed the shit out of my doctors because I asked them 5,000 questions a day. If I ever saw a little bit of oozing separation, I was like, sell me alarms. (laughs) Get in here right now. We have a problem. (laughs) But then I learned that that wasn't like, you don't have to do that. That's not an actively active infection. So it's like, you're going to grow as time goes on. So you have to be open to that process. Um, so really knowing your values before you walk in, what kind of hygienist do you want to be? Like who, what do you want to do for your patients when they come into your chair versus when they leave your chair? Like, what is it that you're trying to achieve? Working on your confidence, right? I don't like the term fake it till you make it, but you have to, you have to have an air of confidence because people feel that Mm -hmm. they they can feel when you're not confident and you know, it's okay to identify something that you need to work on. Yep. That's growth. Yep. So just go into it knowing that nothing is lost as long as you commit to learning. And now I'm knocking stuff over. <laughs> um, and then communication, really digging in. We do not give you this in hygiene school. We give you the bare minimum. It is your responsibility as a practitioner to dig into communication. Uh, Miranda's area of expertise is DISC mm-hmm. and motivational interviewing. I would really encourage you to, to look into those two things. They're extremely helpful. And it also, it, it takes the ownership, again, of disease off of you yep. as the practitioner and puts it on the rightful owner, which is the patient. So learning how to structure and framework that in your communication is huge. And it's that commitment to learning. Yeah. I think that that's like the biggest thing and, and being able to know, I don't know everything. Yeah. Just acknowledge there's a really great book called Humbitious and it's about <laughs> being humble and ambitious and how you really need both to be successful. You have to have that drive to, for more, to learn more, to do more and know more. Um, but you can't go into it as once you do that, as like, now I'm the end all be all on the subject. You still have to approach things with that level of humility, that level of, you know, there are things that I, that I don't know. There will always be things that I don't know. I should always be seeking out mentorship, whether it be a personal connection or, Um, There's so much available online. Like I, you know, because I'm on your podcast, uh, which is an amazing one. I love podcasts. Like I think if you are listening to talk radio on the way to work, you're wasting your life. If you just like for that 20 minutes, dedicate yourself to a good solid podcast. There's some really good ones out there and it doesn't have to be dentistry. I did like, again, there's a lot of communication podcasts and, and I say sales, there's sales podcasts that 
the right ones that give you some of these communication tools to help people find that value on their own. But yeah, I'm with you. I think that all of the things we talked about, those top four feed into the last one, which is like, you have to be continuously learning to get to any success with any of those areas. Like it's, it, that's what it's all about is you're, you're going to get out of it, whatever you put into it. A hundred percent. So like you see someone like myself, Tabitha, Miranda, or any other, you know, dental professional that's out and putting information out there, speaking, educating, you see the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. You see what's peeking out of the water. You don't see what's going on underneath. So for instance, Miranda, how many books have you read this year? Oh my goodness. This year alone? This year alone. I mean, I try, I try to do at least one a month. So, um, I actually just finished I'm going to just throw it out there. I just finished a really great book called The Culture Climb, and it's about culture in business. And I'm currently reading one called Drive, which talks about what drives us. So it's kind of uh, ties right in with this conversation around purpose and play and um, value, right? What drives us as, as human beings to push ahead. But oh my gosh, I like look to my left and I see my bookshelf and I'm always reading at least one book, but I'm also usually listening <laughs> to an audiobook as well. Right. I go through a filter process. I listen to an audiobook. If it's amazing, I order it because now I want to oh mark up the pages. Same exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I'm probably reading it for the second time with it, you know, my hands on it while I'm starting something else on audio. And and I just I just I feel like there's so much amazing information out there. I've got to like why would I not? like try to fill my brain and body with as much of that as I can and just be a better version of myself all the time. I I think it comes back to, and I know we're wrapping up. I think it comes back to having a bit of a servant mindset, being others focused. And that's what I think has really made me love hygiene so much is it's not really about me. Right. No. I think I have done a really great job of building a great career and staying in line with what's new and doing the right things. But in the end, what brings me joy, what brings my passion to light within hygiene. And I know I'm not because I have issues with my neck as well. <laughs> All these people who are starting out with these ergo loops are going to be doing great. And, uh, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, biofilm and everything. Better. GBT, like it's a whole different world than what we were doing, but, um, you know, I don't practice clinically anymore. And that's what I, that's the piece I miss. People will ask me that, like, do you miss, what do you miss clinically? And I'm like, I miss the impact I, I can have on other people's lives. And I miss the impact they have on my life, you know, the connections that you're able to make. And if you approach this career in cert and stewardship, right. And servant mindset and the approach of like, I'm here for others. I'm here for my colleagues. I'm here to help grow this business for the dentists that I respect that I work with. And I'm here for these patients. And like you said, every one of them, if they can leave in a better place than where they came in, then I feel really good about what we did today. And and I'm going to come back and I'm going to do it tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we were like the first people to have this instant gratification, right? Because on the hour, every hour, we're making people right. better than the way we found them. So yeah, it's definitely, um, it, it's a huge, huge piece of what we do. But I, I love that you're wrapping, wrapping it up with that point because it's about the patients we get to serve. Yep. We have an honor to serve them. It's it's really not about us. So no. when you can take yourself out of the equation, um, I mean, you still want to have self-respect and still Absolutely. not allow certain things to happen and be an advocate. When you advocate for yourself, you're advocating for them. Yep. So it, it does come back to serving. Boundaries are good. We don't want to get walked all over and be accommodating just for the sake of being accommodating. But when you when you wrap your mind, there's a great book, Outward Mindset by the Arbinger Institute. If you can place the mindset around you know, a a servant's mindset. I'm here to do the best I can do for this person who's in my chair right now. You and I have all have said this before too. Like every now and then that's like, they needed to just talk to me and cry today. Like their spouse passed. Like how many times, and I know we got to wrap up. We could do this forever. Their spouse passed and, (laughs) and it was two weeks ago and you're like, I can't believe they're at the dentist, but it's because they have formed a relationship with you and they needed that connection. And sometimes that's what they need from you. So just what can you be, what can you be to the world, to your patients, to your colleagues, yeah. you know, just be the best version of yourself. 
And to that, like, you don't even realize the impact you have on people's lives. I had the opportunity to go back to practice this year and I'm absolutely loving it. I'm, I'm there once a week, but I'm at my, my old prostoperio practice that I had left for a while. So now I'm seeing these patients I haven't seen in three years and they're bringing me flowers. Aww. One got teary eyed when I opened the door. She's like, I was thinking about you this morning and now you're here. She's like, I knew I was coming and I was thinking about how much I miss you Aww. and how great you the care you took of me. And now I was like upset that I wasn't going to see you. And now you're here. And I was like, look what the universe created for you. You put it out there and here I am. So it's like, you don't know the impact you have on people's lives. Like they might not outwardly tell you, Mm -hmm. but now like I'm able to have this experience where I'm getting to hear the impact I've had on people's lives and now get to continue to impact them in a positive way. So, you know, every day that you're chair side is an opportunity to have a positive impact yep. on another person. And those are the intangible things that make you feel good, that light that fire yep. inside of you, that continue to fuel that passion and purpose. And investing in yourself is, it's exponential. You have to do that. It's it's a really big part. You know, it's not just about the clinical technique or taking your CPR class or your you know, infection control class, those are all important things, but you have to seek out other education too. And it's, I mean, in our technology day and age, it's easier than ever to to consume something while you're driving to work or driving home from work. So, all right, because you and I can go on. I know we got to, everyone's going to stop listening if they haven't already. Yeah. They're going to be like, it's been three uh, office trips before I finish this episode. (laughs) The whole week commute. <laughs> absolutely. Well, Miranda, thank you again for being here with us. I absolutely adore you as a human being. You're an amazing professional. Everyone gets to learn every time you speak. So thank you so much for just being you and also your commitment to our profession. You are the absolute sweetest. And I feel the exact same way. I would hang out with you guys anytime you want me to. And hopefully one day it'll be in person. Yes, ma'am. We need to get that shit back up and run. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Keep on disrupting in your corner of the universe. And if you would be so kind to leave us a review and hit that subscribe button wherever you podcast. Until next time. Thank you. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.